Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another week, another episode of the Hoop Genius Podcast. Myself, Mo Mootsi, joined today by not only the point guard guru, Mr. BJ Armstrong, but we've got our first special guest of the season coming on. We've got Ethan oh, yeah. Strauss, home of, you know, his newsletter that he puts out all the time on Substack, if you're subscribed to that, formerly of The Athletic, formerly or currently of House of Strauss Podcast as well. Ethan, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me, and I love the way I know I know you hear this kind of thing from Americans all the time. I hate to do it, but the way you pronounce athletic, just top notch. I love it, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, you famously covered the Warriors for for the athletic, and what always makes me laugh is the way that Americans pronounce Warriors. They say the Warriors, like there's not two R's <laughs> in the middle of the word. They say you're the Golden State Warriors, and I'm I'm like. <laughs> But speaking of, yeah. speaking what of, is this an English class? Is this an English class right now? Hey man, I'm, just, I'm just putting you guys on to the Queen's English. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to put you guys on. But, but speaking we'll of, note. speaking of the Warriors, we would be remiss to not start there with what every NBA fan in the world was looking forward to all weekend, what every sports fan was looking forward to all weekend. No, it's not the NFL. We're talking about Clay Thompson making his return to the Golden State Warriors now. BJ. I know you were extremely excited about this. Oh. What stood out to you? Well, you know what? It was an amazing, a triumphant return of Klay Thompson. And you can see the joy that his teammates, in particular, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala. And let's not forget the Warriors fans, the fan, the fan base. The building was electric. Clay did not disappoint. He comes out and makes his first shot. He has a slam dunk. He's making threes. And shall we dare say, Clay is back in the building. Now, someone somewhere must be working on a little remix of Forgot About Dre, because it seems like the league forgot mm. about Clay and everything he can do. Ethan, on our last episode on Friday, we spoke about Clay Thompson's return. And I mentioned one of the notes from your book where you spoke about how much Clay had an affection for a certain breakfast in Memphis on the road. And he'd be in the shoot around just <laughs> thinking about omelets. From your standpoint, having been around that team so much and been around Clay Thompson so much, what were you expecting before last night's game in terms of Clay Thompson making his return? I thought it would be harder. I mean, I know he missed some shots in the mid range, but his movement was just way better than I thought it would be. And, I don't think he needs to be the same guy necessarily that he was, but damn if he didn't look like it at times. And some of the rhythm on the three-pointers, that hanging fadeaway that he did. Um, and it reminded of how when he got hurt, I mean, he got hurt. When he got hurt, it was the peak of what he was doing as a basketball player in that finals. And it looked like he just picked up where he left off when he got uh, I think it was Jared Allen on the uh, on the switch like yep. that off the dribble for the dunk. I mean, those handles, he did not have those handles when he entered the league. He had to really develop that, and he was always a hard worker. And I remember Dan Martinez, who was uh, second in command in Warriors PR, would say on media day, you know, media day, for those who don't know, it's like the first day of school. It's the first day of training camp. All the media is there. The players show up. And the players, they do their their photographs. They're in their jerseys. But they're not there for a practice. They're there for the press conferences. But every media day, Clay would walk over and he would grab a basketball because it happens on the practice court and he would turn it into a shooting session. 
none of the other players did that. That was just clay. I mean, basketball, that's his lodestar. That's the thing he likes to fixate on um, to the exclusion of a lot of other things. And what Mo was saying, I mean, he is like that where in Memphis, he has that omelet he likes. And one of the assistant coaches was saying that all he's thinking about is omelet, omelet, omelet. And sometimes all he's thinking about is basketball, basketball, basketball. And that's why people love him. They love him. They love him even though he does things that would piss other people off. You know, it's endearing when he does it. I read this article by Scott Cacciola in the New York Times that Clay got a boat because he needed to do something because he didn't have basketball in his life. And he didn't even know anything about where you're supposed to park the boat. He was just parking the boat in people's boat parking spaces or whatever they're (laughs) called until somebody had to pull him aside and say, dude, you've got to actually like you need to know there are designated places on San Francisco Harbor, some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Uh, You can't just roll up with your boat, park it on the beach and get out like that. That's not how it works. And if somebody else does this, maybe we say, oh, this guy is a jerk. But with Clay. Everybody knows there's a purity to it. Everybody knows it's because his mind is on other things. And man, that guy really resonates in this area. So it was a very nice moment to see. You know, someone was asking me before the game, you know, what would, what would I do? What would I say if he came out and didn't make a shot? And I said, listen, if Clay Thompson comes out tonight and doesn't make a shot, no one's going to be mad at him. No one's going to be firing off hot takes like they would have if Kyrie Irving had returned last week and not made a shot. Because Clay is just beloved by all. You know, we all see his Instagram stories just chilling on the boat when he took James Wiseman out on the water and was giving him some advice. That was such a wholesome moment. But what stood out to me really from last night was the fact that Steve Kerr just said straight up, Clay starting. And then they open up the game with Clay curling off a pin down and going into the paint to get a bucket. Now, BJ, we spoke about last week. Once you've had an injury, the confidence in your joints, your legs, your ankles, your knees, etc. Clay looked completely confident. The other thing I loved, he looked completely in sync with all of his teammates, bearing in mind how different this squad looks to the team that he left, you know, a couple of seasons ago. It's been, what, 941 days since he was last on the NBA court. So, you know, having been out for such a long period of time, the team has changed, the personnel has changed, everything around the squad has changed. I spoke to um, my guy, Chris Thomas, one of the the skill development coaches around the league last night. I said, we were just speaking about the league in general yesterday. I said, who do you like for the West? Because we were speaking about Phoenix and we were speaking about the Lakers. And he said, listen, all depends on Clay. If Clay comes back and looks nice, I'm rocking with the Golden State Warriors. So do you think at this point in time, BJ, that the Golden State Warriors now have to be favorites, given that that was game one of Clay Thompson's return and it surely should just go up and up after this? Well, guys, we have to assume that there was a lot of adrenaline in the building. And we want to see how Clay is going to return on day two. And tonight, there wasn't going to be anything. A pack of wolves, a hurricane was going to stop Clay Thompson to getting to that court. And it showed. I mean, the excitement was there. The adrenaline was there. He comes out to a standing ovation. He makes his, how about this, guys? Your first play, and you haven't played in over two years. And the coach designs the first play for Clay Thompson to come out. And he does what Clay Thompson does. You know, I was just really surprised of how much confidence the guys were giving him for what he's been able to do and overcome. And you can see they were looking for him. 
You can see that they were going to maximize his 20 minutes on the court. You can see that they were going to incorporate him and they wanted to make him feel comfortable. I mean, it started right from the tip. I mean, Draymond Green couldn't even play, but he wanted to start with Clay and Steph. You can see what Steph was doing and cheering for, for Clay every time he did anything. And he, you know, I was, I mean, look, as a, as a, as a shooter myself or an ex-shooter, I mean, the no, guy gets up 18 shots. I, 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 I know you still got it on you. I know you still got it on you. I know you still got it on you. The guy gets something? up 18. He gets up. Wait a minute. I just want to say it. He gets up 18 yeah. shots. That to me was like, he still got it, guys. He still got it. I, I'm not trying to kiss BJ's ass over here, but I do think I do think you're an underrated shooter. I do think you're somebody Thanks. where I don't know I don't know if people people really know about it. I was recently watching. I mean, I'm wondering, did you do a lot of those pin downs? Because maybe well, let's talk about that pin down that they started off. Um, because I remember you shot a lot of mid range back in the day. Um, that pin down, I, I think that's a really important play for them. I think yep. it's very important that in between mid-range, I know mid-range isn't the shot you necessarily want, but they operate out of that. It's it's important for the rhythm of their offense that they can do that. And it drives a lot of defensive you know, attention in that direction, depending on how teams play it. It can open up a layup for somebody else. If there's nothing there, you can pass out of it. It seems like they were missing that. You know, you could do it, right. you could do it a little bit, maybe with Jordan Poole. You could try it. But it's not Clay Thompson. It's not Clay Thompson off that pin down. And I don't know how good Clay's going to be. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be exactly who he was. But he's going to get the defensive attention on that play from here till the, you know, forever, probably. And so, yeah, I just, that was one of my takeaways when I saw that. It was just, oh, yeah, I miss this. I miss this in the Warriors offense. This is something familiar. This is something that establishes rhythm. This is something they operate out of. And they haven't had it for over 900 days. <laughs> there was a play where, you know, I've seen Steph. He came up to set a screen. Uh, Clay came up to set a screen of Steph. He kind of ghost screens him with the, it's the slide screen where he hits the side. Steph hits him with a pass. Then Clay just goes off the dribble. And that's when he hit that really nice kind of almost fading away mid-range jump shot going towards the baseline. And then a couple of possessions later, Clay gets the ball at the top and he realizes it's Laurie marketing guarding him. So he just takes a couple dribbles, gets to the free throw line extended, pulls up. He must have been watching all the film because he knows Lauren Marketing ain't trying to stop that. So he rises up, mm. drains that mid-range. So, yeah, I, I think you're completely spot on with the three-point shooting is what Clay Thompson has built his reputation on. And that's what, you know, kind of the everyday fan takes away. But I think it's all those little things, especially in the mid-range. And now it just gives them another option. And I think what's going to happen now is Steph Curry, since he broke that three-point record, has been getting so much more attention from defenses that he's, you know, some people have been saying he's been in a bit of a slump and his shooting percentage has gone down over the last couple of weeks. But now having Clay Thompson back out there on the court, it's going to give Steph a little more freedom and a little bit less attention from the defense because other teams are now more worried about this whole new monster that they've got to deal with in headband Clay. Mm. <laughs> I think also in transition, you know, transition right. is when he really scares teams. And it's that transition three um that very much terrifies them and i think that's just going to open up it's going to open up so much for them and i do think i do think with shooters they don't really forget it it doesn't really go away 
maybe we'll see some of the rust in the defense. I know Clay said that he wanted to be a two-way player still. It's what he takes pride in. I mean, nobody saw him as that coming into the league. He worked really hard with uh, the assistant coach, Darren Ehrman, and some other people to really build himself into that. So we'll see. We'll see how good he is at that. But just offensively, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it just it just looks like the Warriors are the Warriors. What can I say? You know, they're all on the uh, the other side of 30, you know, all the relevant guys, but they just look like the Warriors of old. That's that's my main takeaway. Well, defensively, I need to see more of Clay as the primary on-ball defender, but there was a possession there where I think it was Gary Trent, the second, uh, Gary Trent, excuse me, Gary Payton, the second, was um, <laughs> mismatched with, all, all these Garys in the league's getting me confused. Yeah, he was he was mismatched with, with marketing on the block, and Clay Thompson came came down from the top as the help defender actually blocks the shot. So, you know, he's clearly been studying the game at a crazy level. BJ, have you got any closing thoughts just while we wrap up this segment here on Clay Thompson and his return to the court? Well, you know, the biggest challenge I think for Clay is getting back to defensively, getting back to where he was at or somewhere near where he was at. And the reason being is because if there's going to be one difficult part about coming back is your reaction time. There's nothing you can... You, you know, really train for other than getting back to the speed and pace of the game. You know, I think they pit play, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies coming up. There's nothing you can do guys to get ready for John Morant. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing you yeah. can do to get ready for the speed and quickness of the game. This was a nice game for him. I thought he did some great things. I loved, I love his aggressiveness and the fact that, you know, if, you know, I've had some injuries myself, I've had like six knee surgeries, never an ACL, but when you have an injury like that, he's had two significant injuries. You know, you feel off balance. And the thing I was looking for was to see how comfortable he was and how much did he trust his legs. And guys, he looked fantastic. And, you know, he was great. I mean, he, was, he went up, tried to dunk it. He was out there moving, playing defense. And the, and the thing that I love most is he wanted to get physical tonight. He wanted to feel the bumping of the bodies. I'm, I'm sure he's tired of training. I'm sure he's tired of doing all the one-on-one drills. And it was good for him to be back in the locker room and get back to some real game action. So I was just overall, I was pleased. It was great. The league was in tune. You can see all the guys were tweeting him and Instagram and, and the fan base. I can't speak enough about the fans. I thought they were just fabulous tonight. Even in our house, we got up and we, we, we clapped. And um, so it was just great for him, you know, and uh, I'm really excited to see now. Now I've really piqued my interest because they already were a great defensive team. I believe they were the number one defensive team currently now in the NBA. And then you get Clay back, who we know is an all NBA defender. And then they get James Wiseman back. So Steve Kerr has probably the most difficult job now is how to get all these guys on the court. And when you say he's 12 deep, literally, the Warriors right now are 12 deep with really good players. And uh, they look fantastic tonight if they can continue to build on what we saw from Clay Thompson in, in, in game one. It's interesting you talk about the fans because, of course, Clay is playing in front of a completely different crowd. Last time out, it was at the Oracle Arena. Now the Warriors have a new home at the Chase Center. Just before we move on, Ethan, from your perspective, you know, Draymond Green spoke about on his podcast making the Chase Center their new home for the Golden State Warriors. And he realized that they have to build the, the atmosphere and the culture inside the arena with the fans back up. From your perspective, having been at Oracle so many times, now looking in, maybe as more of an outsider now rather than being an insider as before, how much of that home field do you think there currently is in the Chase Center and how much is there still to go? 
Yeah, I think that it's probably this year with how good the Warriors are and just talking to people, one of the best environments in the NBA. I mean, we might get into more general issues of the NBA. Uh, the various variants, I think, have crushed attendance. And that's why when you're skipping around on League Pass, maybe you see a lot of empty seats when you look around the league, especially in some of the smaller markets. I don't think you're really seeing that at Chase Center. So relatively, relatively, um, I think it's it's right up there, right? But they've got a bit of an issue. I mean, we'll see how it all goes uh, down the line. But the, the Warriors spend a billion dollars building this place to go to San Francisco. Anybody would have told you that that's a brilliant businessman, businessman move. I mean, you know, you, you just bought a license to print money. You just opened up an arena with the hottest team. And not only that, there are no major concert venues in San Francisco. So you're going to bring in, you're going to bring in all these big concerts, Taylor Swift, whoever you're going to print money. Well, what ends up happening, of course, is this pandemic that nobody could have foreseen. And it triggers this work from home revolution that nobody could have foreseen. And so you're having a situation where San Francisco downtown is almost empty. There is no parking down there. It's an issue. There's no parking down there. Even the giants who are close to there have about 3,500 parking spots. Chase really has none. So um, to what you're saying, I agree. I agree totally with Draymond that they need to build the culture. They need to build the feeling, but after Steph, I do not know what's going to happen at Chase. I think um, it's a crazy thing where it's nobody's fault in a way. I'm not criticizing them. They did what any businessman would have done by moving out of Oracle and coming to San Francisco. Just these crazy circumstances have happened to make it a really risky deal for them. And they'll just need to, I don't know, win a, they'll need to win three more championships to make sure that people drive down to downtown San Francisco where there's no parking when they're not working there and keep filling the arena. So, I mean, that's, I, I know that's a bit of a broader take that's away from maybe the basketball itself, but right. it's just something I'm watching as I look at the financial situation around the league and I go, yeah, that one's tricky over there. They're very lucky that Steph Curry is who he is, is what I would say. No, I love that perspective. Life after Steph is going to be very interesting potential title for a new book as well but we've got to talk about some other happenings around the league because it has been 941 days since Clay Thompson played in an NBA game and 941 days ago a certain Mr. John Morant was still at Murray State University he was undergoing knee surgery and people were talking about the Grizzlies drafting him to come in and be a backup to Mike Conley now, who would have thought mm. that two seasons later, John Morant is playing so well. When I tell BJ I'm watching the Grizzlies game, he's telling me, no, you're not. You're watching a John Morant show. He came to the game last night against the Los Angeles Lakers. Once again, it seems like he always shows up in these big games. Or I don't know if it's a big game against the Lakers now, considering they're like barely a 500 team. But if LeBron James is there, it's a huge game. Shows up. And once again, leaves with the highlight of the night and everyone saying he's kind of the, the almost the most valuable player on the court. BJ, I know you've been waiting all evening to talk about this. What have you seen from John Morant this time around? You know, I'm running out of words. I'm running out of descriptive words to really describe to the listener if you didn't get a chance to watch this young man, not only this season, but tonight in particular. 
when they say showtime in LA, tonight was show time. Mr. John Morant style. He brought all the smoke. He put on an incredible display of athleticism. You know, you talk about managing the game. John Morant right now is arguably the best point guard in the league. Mo, he's arguably right now the most dominant point guard in the entire NBA. And I'm saying this, and, and, and all due respect to, you know, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, John Morant right now, Mo, is in the conversation. He's he's up there. I'm not. Yeah, I'm, not he's, I'm not taking him ahead of Steph, he's, but he's up there. We, we he is up there, and we're gonna get a chance to see it here really soon, Mo. And you and I should be watching this game. But I'm just telling you right now, guys. Besides being an incredible, you know, basketball player that he is, an individual basketball player, this is a very good team now. And they're playing great team basketball. And you can see now their momentum is starting to build. And why do I say that? It's because they're starting to win on the road. Nine games in a row. Okay. And right now, guys, John Morant is a special player. You're not going to stop him. You can only hope to contain him now. They have a star. And if they continue to get contributions from their role players, the Jaron Jacksons, so forth and so on. This is going to be a very dangerous team. I'm really looking forward. I think it's coming up this week when they play the Golden State Warriors. I think this will be a measuring game. And when you say a game that has a lot of importance for Memphis, they can really make a statement to the rest of the league. So, you know, look out, guys, for this Memphis Grizzlies team. They're really playing terrific basketball, a really good team, and they're really fun to watch. Because uh, maybe I'm here to try to, do the 30,000 foot view perspective. This this might sound crazy. I think John Morant is not just important to the Grizzlies, obviously. I think he's really important to the league right now. Mm. I think he is. He, the league is in a place. We talked about after Steph Curry, the influence on Chase, the influence on the Warriors. I mean, it's bigger than that. I mean, the league has two superstars. It's Steph Curry, LeBron James. As far as I know, people are going to say, you know, they're going to start listing guys. Giannis. No, I'm talking about like box office. I'm talking about move the needle in the United States of America. I, I call Giannis it, I call it, is, even my mom knows who that is. LeBron James exactly, and Steph Curry. Exactly. Giannis is incredible. He deserves to have my, I, I went over to my, uh, my wife's family's place around the Christmas holiday they don't know who Giannis is. You know, they know the, the guys they've heard of, obviously Curry, LeBron, you know, it's a, it's an elite group to get in there, right? Kobe, Michael Jordan, you know, it's an elite group to have that household name resonance. Giannis doesn't have it. It's not his fault. He's from a small Eastern European country. I think that's maybe a block. It's not his fault, but it's just the case. John Morant has that thing. He's got that thing. He's got that thing that Iverson had. He's got that charisma. There's something to him. And Nike is behind him. That's the other big thing. They did a whole ad campaign for him. They didn't do that for Giannis. Giannis won the championship. Giannis won the championship. No Nike ad campaign for Giannis. They did one for John Morant. It's a good this, ad, too. This this brings me on to my, what I was going to say is 
obviously Zion Williamson, who was drafted just ahead of him, has really been unfortunate with the injuries. But you've seen Jordan Brand in particular put out the Zion one signature sneaker, as you can see right behind me, the Zion one sneaker. They put a whole campaign. They got some fantastic documentary makers to make a fantastic documentary. It's called The Next Dance Search on YouTube. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to plug myself because it's my podcast. But my question to you, Ethan, because you know, in your book that I've been reading, you speak a lot about the impact of sneakers and sneaker company on the NBA. You talk about Steph's Under Armour deal, Katie's business at Nike, and you go on to mention a bunch of the insiders at Nike. How far away are we, do you think, from seeing a Jamarant signature sneaker? Because the signature sneaker club at Nike is very exclusive. But if Paul George yeah. has got one, I see no <laughs> reason why Jamarant doesn't have one. That ad campaign, I think, tipped their hand that you're going to see it sooner rather than later. And like I said, it's a good ad. I think the uh, the slogan from it is says who, you know, a small market guy can't be a superstar. And he says, says who? That's the theme of it. I think if they're smart, they're going to bet on him because markets matter. But I think the player matters more and the story matters more. If you've got a story, I mean, what kind of market? was Cleveland among the other markets. It doesn't matter. It's they, they had LeBron James back then and they had LeBron's story. And so it's all about finding that story because I think we get lost in the weeds sometimes. If you know the league and inside and out, you know the nuances, you forget that the general public needs some kind of some kind of story. That's how we relate to things. We relate to things through narrative. And so that's the thread Nike has to find in addition to making a really good sneaker is this is why you should pay attention to this guy out in Memphis, a city you're probably never going to go to, but this is the show you're going to have to see. Lucky for them with highlights like that block, uh, <laughs> like Man. that block that we saw tonight. I mean, right. a lot of it. Two hands in the sky. Listen, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Some players go their yeah. whole career and maybe have one highlight that big. This guy's out here doing it week after week after week. It's ridiculous, but it's something I always think about. It's it's hard to really figure out why some guys really pop and why they become household names and some guys don't. I don't know why Chris Paul can't really sell a jersey, right? I don't know. I think we I, know I why. Chris <laughs> I, I, I think we all know why no one wants to wear a Chris Paul jersey. I'm just saying, you know, you would think, you would have thought when he was playing back in the day, Early in his career, you would have thought that maybe he'd be one of those guys because, you know, I could tell you any sort of rule for what people want. People want to buy shoes uh, from, you know, by shorter guys. They don't want them from centers. It's like, okay, well, Chris Paul. No, it doesn't work for whatever reason. We could go down the reason, but it's interesting who it works for and who it doesn't. I don't know anything. I just know that John Morant's one of those guys, or he can be one of those guys. Yeah. So his career right now for the NBA, the NBA, which at the present moment, has the kind of viewership that it almost had after Jordan retired when it took that nosedive. They're going to have LeBron and, and Steph age out eventually. Somebody's got to take that mantle. Like you were saying, it was supposed to be Zion. That's not really working. I think John Morant is the most important player for the NBA's future right now, as crazy as that might sound. Now, that So yeah. What campaign is reminding me of the Russell Westbrook Why Not campaign. Now, Russell Westbrook, his latest sneak advert, the advert begins with a jump shot missing, which fans have taken delight in mocking all over social media. But now we're seeing a lot of comparisons between Ja Morant and Russell Westbrook and even a young Derek Rose. Now, BJ, from a basketball perspective, 
How close do you think Jamaran is to reaching those levels? And even from a business perspective, how close do you think Jamaran can get to Pete Russell Westbrook? I don't know if he's quite close to surpassing that, but more importantly, Derek Rose in his younger days, when he was doing his sneaker tours all over the world, how close do you think he can get to that? BJ, go first, or should I go first on that? Go ahead. Go ahead, Ethan. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, ri- it reminds me a lot of Rose because Rose, before the knee injuries, could sell a sneaker and do it for Adidas. It's not yeah. so easy to do. It reminded me a bit of um, of Iverson with Reebok. Uh, really putting, I-, I wouldn't say putting Reebok on the map, but you know, for people of a certain age, I don't know. You know, I don't know how old you are, Mo, but everybody, everybody wanted that when I was a teenager. Like everybody so, wanted so- that Iverson shoe. I'm yeah. I'm 27 and they actually have brought oh, out young. the retro Iversons now though. They're part they, they've mm-hmm. retroed the question ones with Reebok and they brought them back out. They released them last year and people have been rocking them now. Oh yeah. It was they're, they're nice. And the ones that have the the DMX cushioning, they called it that kind of beehive look to it. I mean, you stop feeling it after day two, but it looked <laughs> nice. It was just a little something. Little something that people liked. He reminds me a lot of that. I think he he's in that he's in that category. Westbrook would have been, but Jordan Brand. It's always difficult, right? It's always weird. It's like uh, it's it's confusing because you're your own entity, but you're also under the Jordan umbrella. And I think it's harder to be a big time signature guy if you're with Jordan Brand. I mean, you sell. You sell sneakers. You'll sell some sneakers. They pay you. You know they they make a nice mint over there at, at Jordan Brand. Michael Jordan makes uh, I think something like 140 million dollars a year off off Jordan Brand. So they do okay. But I don't think you become the kind of cultural force. Uh, yeah, he's right in there. And another sneaker guy I would think too reminds me of him. Uh, you know, maybe has aged out of it a little bit as Kyrie, like that first Kyrie shoe really sold well. I think he can be like those guys. I mean, Derrick Rose had the Chicago thing that really helped. That story, right? And that's big market that he was playing at home. Um, and Morant a superstar agent behind him. Yeah, the whole thing. The whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing. Um, but, you know, I think, again, I, I, I'm reiterating, I think he's got, he's the total package. You just need you need some sort of story. You need some sort of story that somebody in my family that doesn't follow basketball but likes sports will go, oh, yeah, that's the guy who. They need that. That's what they got to come up with. BJ, on the court, how are you seeing this? Well, you know, you can't have one without the other. And, you know, I grew up as a young kid watching Julius Irving and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Converse was selling sneakers. And the one thing that really captured the American audience in particular, and which went on to the global audience, was when Jordan came along, he captured the imagination. You wanted to go to the game because you were like, oh, I've never seen this before. Mm. Okay. And when I was listening to Ethan talk about he has that it factor, right? We always talk about he has it. I don't know what it is, but you hear people talk about yes. it. And I don't know exactly what it is, but I, I know it when I see it. And when I first saw Derrick Rose play, I was like, he has it. They were like, what? Like, he can't shoot. They told me John Moran can't shoot. 
he has it. Jordan couldn't shoot, but he has it. And that it is, can, when a player capture the, captures the imagination of the audience, right? There are players and then there are performers. Like Steph Curry has captured the global imagination of anyone who watches. It just yesterday, I was at a basketball camp for like eight-year-olds. And I saw all the kids trying to shoot threes. And I was just laughing to myself because you can see Steph Curry has captured now the emotion. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, shoot it like Steph. I heard like parents talking. And I was thinking to myself, like, when you see that, like tonight, I'm watching John Morant because, you know, you could possibly see something you've never seen before. You see that lob? His whole head was above the, uh, the rim. And he had to like duck. And, and that wasn't even the biggest this. highlight of the night. Yeah, he's doing things now that, you know, we're all saying, wow, how are we going to describe this guy? Who do we compare him to? You know, right now we compare him to Russell. No, he's not Russell. No, he's not Derrick Rose. Okay, Derrick Rose was a different player than John Morant. John Morant is the first John Morant. You're seeing someone now do something you just haven't seen. And what I mean, you haven't seen, he's in a small market. There was no expectations for him to make the playoffs no one was thinking John Morant was going to take the league like this you know Derrick Rose came in with a lot of hype and he delivered on the hype and he did like Ethan mentioned he did sell shoes and he performed but this young man is doing something entirely different he's doing it in a small market and more importantly I mean, he's doing this in the Western Conference, and we always, you know, for the last two or three years, we keep saying the Western Conference is way stronger. And somehow, some way, he continues to shine on the biggest stage. Last year, they beat the Golden State Warriors for the play-in. Yep. I mean, this young man is performing. So he has the imagination now of an audience. People are going to watch him, and he's winning. And I think if he could do something big, he could peek into that stratosphere I, now. I think that the Grizzlies could surprise a lot of people come to playoffs this year. If they can get to that conference finals there, they put the whole league on notice. But talking about... And, and Mo, he, he, and here's the most important thing, guys. Go ahead. You hear his name all the time now in the verses... Of all the rappers. <laughs> yes. I'm on my Grizz. I'm yes. on my Grizzlies like John Morant. <laughs> yeah, now come, listen, listen, that's important. Hey, because hey, that's important. Mo, now he's affecting the culture. And that's the key. That's the key. You know, you started hearing Derrick Rose. You hear when you say Jordan, when you say LeBron, when you start hearing the rappers and the culture embrace you. When you say I'm on my Grizzly, everyone go, oh, that's John Morant. And just little things like that are beginning. You're still you're starting to see this snowball roll and gain momentum oh. as he goes about his business. PJ, speaking of rap lyrics, Money Man dropped a track called On the Go, and he's got a line in that, and he says, These guys won't shoot. They're Ben Simmons. So we got to talk about <laughs> the opposite end of the spectrum. We're going from a high flying point guard oh. out west taking the league by storm to a, a point guard and east who's not taking the league by storm. He's doing quite the opposite. Now, I have heard from sources in the Simmons camp. Now, I don't know if this counts as news because I think it's pretty common and obvious knowledge 
But the latest I've heard is that he prefers to be traded now to two destinations, one being the Golden State Warriors and two being the Dallas Mavericks. Mm. But right now, he is not hopeful at all that the Philadelphia Sixers will even trade him. He knows that the Golden State Warriors is very, very unlikely to happen, but he fears that the Sixers may not trade him at all before the deadline. What are your guys' takes on this whole saga that we're going to hear more and more about for the next month until just, the trade deadline it, finally appears? It, it does remind of, I mean, it's the obvious rejoinder that people would have of, I, I prefer to be dating Scarlett Johansson. Like, that would be the preference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be the preference. Like, I'm open to such a <laughs> eventuality. <laughs> You know, that's um, great. That is great. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe Dallas. I mean, that, that, but the Warriors, uh, I, I don't know, man. That would be a big risk. Could you imagine them? Could you imagine them doing that? I mean, no, no, not at all. That, that would be, that'd be a ballsy move. But I, I think I would say it that. just goes to show, you know, what you speak about in your book in terms of Steve Kerr having his team play with the joy that kind of attracted Kevin Durant to them in the first place and the fact that they wouldn't need him to shoot the ball at all. And that's kind of why he thinks their style of play would suit him best, but I completely agree with you because I also, yeah. <laughs> you know, Scarlett Johansson's <laughs> there. Who's, who's not going to say that, but what intrigued yeah. me is the Dallas one though, given that Luke yeah. Doncic is such a ball dominant guard. What do you think about that fit? I don't, I mean, maybe if I could be creative and really think about it, I, I could come up with some sort of way it would work, but I think part of his problem is he wants to be the guy, but, a team of a certain quality is a team that he might not really be the guy on. So I don't know. I don't know when reality is going to come into focus for him. This has not worked out for him. Um, it's not been handled well by his camp. I mean, he's just lost a lot of time and it's, it's it, the problem is I don't know if he can see himself properly. I think he might see himself as what we were saying about John ja Morant, right? I mean, he's acting that way. He, he's acting like he has Anthony Davis type leverage or he did, but even if, Hey, it's, Hey, I'm an all-star and that guy's an all-star. That might be the way he's thinking about it. It's a world of difference. And he doesn't have a superstars leverage when he's been trying to dictate the action. And part of what he's running into right now that makes it tough for him is that the league views his predicament as existential. They view it as if dudes can just opt out of their contract this early on, then contracts don't have any meaning, right? Right, right? This really matters to the league. The league wants him to get crushed. The league wants him to be an example to other people. They won't say that. Adam Silver won't come out and say it. David Stern would have, by the way. But Adam Silver won't. But they're behind the Sixers every step of the way, making life tough for Ben Simmons. They're not going to say it, but they're the ones coming to the Sixers and saying, hey, whatever you need to do, we got your back. And that matters. That matters. You know, like I, I reported that. I wrote that. It, it matters because ultimately these kinds of disputes go to an arbiter and the NBA is that arbiter. So if the NBA is coming to you and secretly through back channels saying, hey, hey, we're on we're on your side, that, that matters a lot. So he might need to... I guess, lower his expectations. Hey, maybe it works out in Dallas. I don't know if it happens, but he, he might have to, I don't know. Have, well, have reportedly, everybody. 
Reportedly, he's lost 10 million so far this season. And that's not to factor in the off-court endorsements because I'm sure brands aren't trying to be giving money to a guy that's not on the court and he's just causing drama. <laughs> BJ, from your perspective... Wait, wait, wait. I was to say, uh, you, uh, you get a cell phone endorsement, you know, for a cell phone that you can <laughs> practice with. <laughs> Sorry. Well, the, the biggest headlines about him is him dating Maya Jammer from, uh, from London, much to dismay of many of, yes. many of the population here. Uh, who are wallowing in heartbreak as she flies out to Philadelphia or wherever she may be. But BJ, if you had to pick a team that you could see Ben Simmons on if he was to be moved by the trade deadline and you could only pick one, who are you picking? Well, I think what Philadelphia is holding out on or holding out for is an all-star. You know, whether... Ben Simmons is viewed as a superstar. When I mean a superstar, an elite player as your first option to win a championship. I don't think that holds true, but I think they want an all-star back in return, especially with Joel Embiid, who has now consistently, he's a top five or top seven player in the NBA. Oh, so if they can top get five all-star players. He's, he's, he's yeah, been on a tear for the yeah, past month. That's been, been yeah, scary. He, I mean, he's... He, he's right up there within in the MVP conversation. And say what you want, they're still one of the better teams minus Ben Simmons. With Ben Simmons, maybe if Ben Simmons is the player that we all think he could be, that's a big if, maybe that pushes them over the top. However, you know, the interesting thing about watching this from afar is that you can see what the rest of the league views of him. No one has really stepped up to the plate to get a deal done. Yeah. And that to me has been the most surprising thing. Uh, one thing, you know, I think Ethan, as we go about this, I want to hear his comments about it is, you know, at some point here, the new collective bargaining agreement will come up, will come into play. And I think when we look back on this some years from now, the, the owners and the league are going to, is going to look back to this moment in time to have the following argument. We're going to shorten the length mm. of these contracts of these players. And this is a very dangerous position for the players to be in as they go, not only talking about one player getting traded, but the future of length of contract. Because now, if you can't get a five-year extension, a four-year extension, you're talking one or two-year deals because of the following. You see what Kyrie Irving, you see with Ben Simmons, and I think these owners are using these moments in time to gear up for that. And I'll be interested to hear what Ethan thinks about that, because at some point here, there, there's going to be a new collective bargaining agreement. And what is he and what do you think, Ethan, this is going to play or how it's going to play itself out? Oh, oh, he's making Ben Simmons is making life tough for the players in the new CBA. This is going to be referenced this is going to be brought up. I think BJ is completely right. Uh, and what's going to help the owner's case, I mean, to just give some broad strokes views of the financial situation of the league right now, they will sign a new TV deal. That new TV deal on the national level will be bigger than the old one. That's going to hopefully supplement um, and stem a lot of the losses otherwise. But there was a recent headline, I think it might have even come out today, and this type of thing is going to get brought up in the negotiations um, and it's weird to me that these sorts of headlines, they, they like come and go. People don't even talk about them. Um, 
the Knicks and the Rangers tried to recover 1.8 billion with a B of financial of financial losses stemming from COVID-19. Um, and they tried to get their insurer to cover more. And the insurer said, no, man, like it's up to a million. We don't go higher than that. That's the deal. And the judge ruled in the favor of the insurer today. So the Knicks and the Rangers, based on that ruling, maybe I need to read a little bit closer. It looks like they just lost $1.8 billion or something like it today. Um, <laughs> you know, that's crazy. There is money pouring out of the league that they would have otherwise expected. We forget what it was like going into this season. It was going into the season over the summer. People were relaxing. People were saying, I got the vaccine. Uh, we're opening up in California, which is really nervous about these types of things. All of a sudden, I was going into Costco or wherever, wherever no mask. And then the Delta variant happened. And now we've got Omicron. And we've got all these, uh, we've got all these absences. And what people don't understand about um, the attendance at these arenas is A, they give away tickets to try to make it look like more people are there. They send people down to the lower level when it's a national game to try to make it look like people are there. And this sort of thing spirals in the ticket industry. And gate revenue is about 40% of NBA revenue, according to Adam Silver. Mm -hmm. They're getting hit hard right now. It, it's a downward spiral because people buy tickets on the assumption they can sell tickets, right? And that, that bids it up. It's speculative. But once people go, oh, my God, ticket prices are dropping, it starts to spiral and it starts to just whew, go down to the bottom. So they're losing a lot. You know, when I wrote about it a few months ago, my newsletter, I was talking about how at the time you could get a Clippers suite for $250. I'm not talking about like one guy, one ticket to the suite. I'm talking about you're having a bachelor party, rent out a suite at a Clipper game for $250, right? So you're seeing losses. There was a Western Conference team I mentioned that had 15 of 38 of their suites empty. So the league is getting hit hard. So I think that's going to get referenced. Situations like this with Ben Simmons is going to get referenced. And they're going to have a strong case to make. They're going to have a strong play to make when they try to wrench back some of the control and some of the dollars from the players. I think it could be a brutal negotiation. We're already yep. seeing it right now in baseball where the players have been locked out by the owners. Man, this is tough times. It's scary times. The one thing that can bring you comfort in these tough and scary times is subscribing to the Heap Genius Podcast for daily updates around the NBA. Ethan Strauss, thank you for joining us on this episode. BJ, thank you for rocking here as well as always. And you guys at home, keep spreading the love. Anything to close with from you guys? I'll just plug uh, House of Strauss. Uh, it's my newsletter. I'd say, hey, you know, not everybody wants to pay for information, but I got information on there that nobody else has. So in my opinion, it's well worth a look. I, I Make sure you that. check from my man. Make sure you check from my man, Ethan Strauss. He does a fantastic job. And we really appreciate him coming on uh, here with us and rocking with us because, Mo, you know the vibes. Uh, you always know the vibes. Listen, I co-signed a newsletter. It's very interesting, especially if you're interested in the business of basketball and some of the on-court stuff that Ethan just given you a little glimpse into. Go and check that out. If you follow him on Twitter, you can find out all the information you need to know. Anything else that we need to tell the people about because I've been reading Ethan's book, the victory machine that I'm going to be reviewing mm. <laughs> live on Twitter spaces later today and over on my YouTube channel. Ethan, let me ask you this one thing before we wrap up the podcast. 
Is there another book in the works? Is there going to be another book on the way? Maybe down the road. You know, it's crazy. I was about to sign a deal for a second book and I decided to drop it because I realized I had to put all the effort into the newsletter. And frankly, I, frankly, I, I have to say, I don't want to make it sound like um, I'm rich overnight or anything like that, but economically, the newsletter made a lot more sense than the book. So <laughs> down the road, I would like to write another one, but at least in the meantime, I had to put all that energy and those ideas into the newsletter. Maybe down the road, we shall see. Hopefully, man, I'll be looking forward to it. Economically for you guys, we do all this for free for you. So make sure you subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend, tweet it out, whatever you want. But until next time, thank you for rocking with us and get buckets.